Tyrese Halliburton was back. The Pacers were rolling in the second half, erased a 20-point deficit, and they lost in Boston. Halliburton's on a minute restriction. Pacers can't quite get it done. Lots to dissect from that game, plus some updates on all-star events involving Pacers, and we're covering it all today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Wednesday, y'all, and welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Pacers Podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, I can finally wear the Hoosier hat because they won a not embarrassing game, and we have a lot to talk about, about the Pacers losing in Boston on TNT, not an embarrassing result on national television like the Pacers of old, very competitive, in it late. 20-point comeback. They looked really threatening at times in this game, but they had to come back from down 20. They weren't good at the start of the fourth quarter and did not have enough ball-handling juice with their injury report and a newfound minutes restriction for Tyrese Halbert. And we have a lot to cover from that game, the Pacers' performance. It was pretty solid, all things considered, against a good team to me, even though there was some stuff they would like to have back. And we learned some fun All-Star stuff today coming for All-Star Weekend in a few weeks about the Pacers. We'll cover that as well. Well, we start in Boston, and we start in the first half of Pacers-Celtics, a game that the Celtics win by five. That's what the score will tell you. That's what the box score will tell you. But the flow of this game was all over the place. And we must start in the first half so I can tell you some bananas numbers that really defined this game to me, right? First half of basketball, first 24 minutes. The Celtics were 12 of 21 from three and shot 64% from the field. In the second quarter alone, the Celtics were 7 of 9 from three and shot 83.8% from the field, 45 points in that quarter. Tatum had 19 in that frame. And at halftime, Derek White was awesome in the first quarter, so they like the Celtics shot that bad in that quarter. He had 15 in the first frame. They made five threes then. It was just ridiculous how hot the Celtics were in the first half. So let's contextualize that a little bit. So I don't necessarily think the Pacers' defense was good in the first half. Clearly, when you give up 80-whatever-that-is points, I'm not good at math, you didn't play good defense. But they weren't playing bad enough defense to the level of shot-making the Celtics had to reach 81 points, right? It was the same thing with Devin Booker last Friday when the Suns scored 80 points in the first half and Booker had whatever millions of points he had in that half. They were defending him pretty well, but he was playing out of his mind. Ridiculous basketball. And that's not like a huge... and You just tip your cap sometimes, right? And that was the Celtics in the first half of this game. Now, what I will say is a lot of them were open, right? I, I will not defend... The Pacers' defense, for lack of better terminology there, they did have some rough defensive moments in that first half. Their defense hasn't looked as good this last week or so after a really good run from just before Christmas until then. Um, Some better moments in the second half, but that is really a big story of this game to me is that first half stretch where the Celtics, who are an awesome three-point shooting team, one of, if not the best in the NBA, they finished the night 17 for 36, who have a top-two offense and defense, they're really good, right? They flexed all their muscles and just made everything. And for the rest of the game, the Pacers looked pretty good, right? In the second half, they came out, more defensive pressure, big adjustment, right? They put Pascal Siakam on Jason Tatum. Tatum's role now is to shoot less. He only took seven shots in the second half, 
second half of this basketball game. Porzingis took more. Jalen Brown was right there. Drew took five. Like, they were really spreading it out more. And the Celtics starters weren't as good. That was a nice adjustment from the Pacers. The Celtics stopped making all of their tough shots. They were five for 15 from three in the second half. They made more threes in the second quarter than the second half. Pacers, though, really get going. Their threes weren't fine, but they were getting in the paint. They were not turning the ball over like ever. They were getting offensive rebounds, giving themselves chances. And so they were really solid in the second half of this game. And when the, the hotness of the Celtics first half wore off, they were able to make a comeback. So we can get into some nitty-gritty stuff. But big picture, looking at this game and how the Pacers were able to come back, I would argue that for about 45 minutes of this game, the quality of play of these two teams was on average roughly even. Right? There were roller coaster moments where one team or the other was better. But they were roughly even. But the Celtics just made a bananas amount of shots in the first half. And the Pacers didn't make as many tough shots or banana shots. There was a, The separating time to me beyond that was the early part of the fourth quarter. Now, we learned at the end of the third when Tyrese Halberton came out of the game that he was done for the night with his minutes restriction. He played 22 minutes. But the, that's not what I would think was important. The fourth quarter starts. The Pacers are down three. And it did not take long for that to not be the case. It took less than two minutes for that three to become seven. It took less than three minutes for that three to become nine. And it took even less time, uh, less than five minutes, for that three to become 12. The first four minutes and 45 seconds of the fourth quarter, the Celtics outscored the Pacers 14 to five. That was the game. That was it. The, the Pacers were playing pretty well in the third quarter, and from that point on, it was 120-108 to 108 with 7.26 to go. The Celtics scored nine points. The Pacers scored 18. They did really well for the rest of the game, but they had this one stretch early fourth where nothing was working for them. They were turning it over, missed threes. Obi Toppin took some weird shots. Um, it just didn't – it was not going well for them, and they could not get stops. They reverted back to the first half, but this time – I didn't think the Celtics made tough shots. They made good shots that they created for Jalen Brown or Drew Holiday or Tatum. It was all the stars with one Nemias Kata nasty dunk mixed in there. That was the stretch to me where the Celtics were legitimately separated from the Pacers in quality. Yes, the Pacers could have done better in the first half. Their offense was good enough. The Celtics made some tough shots. That early fourth quarter stretch of five minutes was the deciding moment of this game to me. And the Pacers were the better team on the scoreboard for the rest of the fourth quarter, but that was it. They were they were in too big of a hole. And the other factor for the fourth quarter that wasn't the case for the rest of the game was they had one like real take the ball up the floor ball handler left. So some context needed for this game. No Ben Matherin, big toe injury. Uh, one of his first missed games of the whole season, right? So they're already shallow-ish because of that, but they get Halberton back, so they have a roughly equivalent backcourt to what they have had recently, but not their full team. No TJ McConnell, who had an illness, right? So they had Halliburton for the first three quarters. They had Nemhard the whole game, but they didn't have a ton of ball handlers in the fourth. They had Buddy Heald, who had a nice night in, in general, plus seven, efficient. Siakam can handle the ball, but he wasn't really passing as much tonight. They needed him to really just bring someone from the Celtics inside so that the Pacers could spread it out. And they had kind of Ben Shepard, I guess, to handle the ball a little bit, but he only played 11 minutes and they did not go particularly well. So they really had to rely on one guy, and that's fine. They've done that a lot, and Andrew Nemhard was fantastic on Sunday, but that, that didn't work, right? It was not enough for them late, and so that early stretch of the fourth really crushed 
the Pacers. And that's where this game got separated for me. Because the Celtics did what the Celtics do. Their stars were awesome. Porzingis was really good. Derek White had his moments. Drew Holiday was great. And their bench was crap. That's what the Celtics' whole season has been. And the Pacers did really well to keep up with the Celtics' starters. Jalen Brown, minus six. Jason Tatum, minus four. Porzingis, minus seven. But the bench minutes were all Celtics because the mix and match moments were not good for the Pacers. And that's when they got going in the second quarter early. And that's when they got going in the fourth quarter early. And that is where the Pacers lost this game. They had a shot at it. They were winning in the third quarter. Their third quarter was phenomenal. The Pacers were awesome in that frame. 37-25 in total. The ball was popping. They were hitting shots for the first time all game, and mostly twos, I should add. They only were 33% on threes in that quarter, but they were awesome. 10 for 16 on twos and getting to the foul line, and they defended well enough and forced some turnovers. Uh, That was when they were at their best all night. They just couldn't quite sustain that level of play throughout the whole game in a way that was meaningful for them. So some good stuff from the Pacers in general. Aaron Neesmith, absolutely phenomenal. We'll talk about him in more detail in just a second. Siakam was good. Halliburton had a double-double in his return. They had good enough nights from a lot of guys to possibly get a win. But they had an awful, awful five minutes to start the fourth quarter. And the Celtics were an awesome shot-making team in the first half. And that is the difference between winning and losing when you're playing Boston this season is one stretch where you aren't playing at a level good enough to keep up will cost you the game, and that is what happened to the Pacers. Some stuff that is worth talking about from this game. Aaron Neesmith, maybe his best game of the season. He was unbelievably good. Tyrese Halburn returned and had a minutes restriction. That's worth talking about. Some other guys had nights that are worth diving into even more. We will get to that in just a second. But first, we have to talk about the lovely folks over at eBay Motors, our partners who have teamed up with Lockdown Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week. You can scour the waiver wire or just figure out what you're prepping for in a daily draft, and every week we're happy to provide those for you via eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Let's see who Josh has picked for us. How about Aaron Neesmith being one of them? Neesmith been posting big numbers of late, including in this game. Uh, his defensive numbers have been good. His efficiency solid this year. On a team that ro- that changes the rotation a decent amount in Rick Carlisle's team, they've had some injuries. There's reasons for that. He's a safe bet to play a lot. He's going to start. That's a good one. Uh, Paul Reed, another one. Joel Embiid has been banged up. Got hurt again tonight. Uh, he's going to be playing a lot for the Sixers. Josh Hart, who the Pacers will see on Thursday, is another one. And Jared Vanderbilt with the Lakers, as well as Io DeSumo with the Bulls, are some picks that Josh Lloyd has for you in fantasy this week. Josh from Lockdown Fantasy Basketball, can help you win your fantasy championship. While eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit, and that is the same for your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your car stays running smoothly on eBay Motors. Do you remember your first car? Do you remember keeping it running or memories you have just being in that thing? Well, you got to keep it going with the best parts, and eBay Motors has it all. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, it is guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time. You get your money back. Plus, at these prices, you are burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. And we are back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Check out Lockdown Celtics. John Krause will have the other side of this game. Chris Porzingis returns. Celtics win at home again. They are phenomenal at home. 
It's a nice praise for the Pacers. Jalen Brown on the court in his TNT post-game interview. Uh, Kirstaps Porzingis in his regular with the media post-game interview. Uh, they were praising this Pacers team. Man, was it fun to watch the Pacers on TNT. Kevin Harlan has just got the voice. I mean, he's so good at his job. It was weird not watching on Bally. I think that was the first game I didn't watch on Bally all season. Cool to see Chris Cenaria and his, and his son hanging out in the crowd. Um, but... It was really cool hearing Kevin Harlan. He's so good at this. Any hoomst, the national TV Pacers did lose this game. They did not lose this game because of anything Aaron Neesmith did. Aaron Neesmith was outstanding. out freaking standing He's always going to have, I think, a little extra juice to him. I've never gotten him to talk about this, but like when he plays the Celtics, right? I'll never forget. I forget which game it was this season where he was quite good, but he... You know, he posted on his Instagram story a screenshot of a tweet about what the Pacers got in return for Malcolm Brogdon, and it was like a picture of someone's pocket lens and like a, it's from SpongeBob, and he and he was laughing at it. You know, he I forget exactly what the caption was, but like clearly he thinks about that still, right? And he's way better than now than he was then, and he's just a way better player in general throughout his career. Tonight, Aaron Neesmith, let's talk about some numbers, had 26 points. That is tied for his season and career high. Phenomenal on offense. Huge putback layups, making threes, driving to the basket. Great game. He added 12 rebounds. You will never guess that is a career high for Mr. Aaron Neesmith with 12 rebounds. And oh, by the way, he had seven assists. You'll guess what? That is a career high in assists for Aaron Neesmith. I remember laughing a few weeks ago when we were talking about Jarris Walker. I forget which game it was for him. Utah, maybe Sacramento, where every single stat for Jarris Walker was a career high. For him, it's different because at the time that was like his 15th NBA game or something like that and like his 200th minutes. Aaron Neesmith has played 4,000 minutes in his career, and this was his 214th game, and he set a career high in every single stat and oh by the way defended his tail off all night he was terrific no turnovers had a block 11 for 17 from the field he he is less discussed because of a lot of reasons from the pascal siakam trade he's also a big winner he doesn't have to guard as big of fours anymore he can't be guarded by the same matchups he was before like everything falls into place for the front court for the pacers having a rangy four with wingspan and aaron neesmith a big beneficiary he was so good so good in this game and was a defensive force for a lot of the action really impressive game from him and he is just what a season for him he won't get most improved love like like at all, and and I get why. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he should win Most Improved Player, but I think he should get some votes. I think he should be on some ballots because you vote for more than just one guy. He has been way better than last year. His defensive impact is better. He's a way better shooter. He's a better scorer. And recently, this assist trend for Aaron Neesmith has been, you know, I might write about this if this continues, really interesting, right? Six against Memphis, three against both Phoenix and Philly. I do not think of Aaron Neesmith much as a passer, but um, that's 12 in three games for a guy that averages 1.3 per game, followed by seven. This is something. This is something. And this was his best game of the season, of his career, of everything. Really terrific for Aaron Neesmith in front of this crowd. Siakam was very good again, 23 points, six boards, two assists. The two assists number, I was curious if that could get higher, but he was really trying to Post not post up like traditionally, but just like get going in the post play that sort of way, and that led to him having a small on him a lot. He took advantage with some nice shots 
in this one. And Tyrus Halliburton was back. This is perhaps the story of the game that deserves the most monitoring long term. Uh, Tyrus Halliburton was back. We thought that would be the case as of yesterday. And he played. And he had 13 points and 10 assists. And that's the end of the story, right? No. Well, one, part of the reason the Pacers were struggling so much in the first half, beyond the Celtics being just scorched earth hot from the field, Halliburton was struggling. He was one for eight to start this game uh, from the field. If that was two or three for eight, you know, they're probably down eight and a half time. Maybe they win. And he finishes five for 16. So that means he made four of his next eight and got a little, he, he settled in. It wasn't so bad. And 13, 10 and one turnover is a good stat line. He played 22 minutes and four seconds. That was really noteworthy, right? Because they, one, I already talked about it. No McConnell, no Matherin. They were relying a lot on other guys. But two, we did not know of this minutes restriction. Perhaps I should have asked better questions at practice. That's on me. But either way, we didn't know about it, right? So he didn't play from the rest of the third quarter to the end of the game. All right, first thing I want to say with this game specifically, a lot of people replying to me on Twitter, something like this. Why not save some of those minutes till the fourth quarter? I suppose you could try to play a guy five minutes per quarter, right? That's not... That unusual, I guess. Some of the Pacers' best minutes this season have been Halliburton plus the bench to end the first and third quarters. Guess what? That was the case in this game as well. Uh, but they re they were able to make a comeback and be winning in the third quarter because they played Tyrese Halliburton. He was much better in those stretches. So, like, yeah, that maybe they could have saved him for the fourth or played him in different spurts, but they wouldn't have been winning in the third. <laughs> they would have been losing by a lot more. So it's just kind of like fight your battle, pick the time. I suppose if they could get his minutes limits like 25, where they could, it could be just easy six a quarter, basically, maybe that would be the way. Then that's more normal. But if it's only five a quarter or even less, it's just kind of hard to have a rotation that makes sense without having to mix and match in new kind of ways. Whatever. That doesn't matter. 22 minutes does matter, of course, when your best player can't play as much. That's a big deal. Uh, we... I believe Dustin O'Pierre, who was in Boston, did tweet that this was the first time we heard someone say setback about that Portland game, right? Uh, and it was Halliburton, I believe. I'll read the tweet right now. Uh, uh, he said the organization wants to be careful, uh, but they're going to proceed with caution. And then Dustin said, going to put the full quote into the story, but this is the first use of the term setback to describe what happened after the Portland game, right? And I think that I hinted at that on this, but you know, I'm not going to step on anyone's toes who disagreed. But now it's pretty clear, right, that that was the case. So playing him less than that makes a ton of sense. 22 minutes is the limit for him. So the Pacers are going to need more from other point guards, right? When McConnell's back, he's going to be important. Matherin's ball handling will be important. They'll just need other guys to step up because they're missing now, instead of all of Tyrese Halliburton, like 12 to 13 minutes of Tyrese Halliburton. That requires other guys to be better, quite frankly. Uh, that's obvious. <laughs> and they have Pascal Siakam now, and they didn't before. So it's not exactly the same, but that is a big deal. So that is an adjustment for the Pacers. Their rotation is going to change. Nemhard's been really good recently, right? He's this is last week was season. Excuse me, last week was the best week of his season. Fifteen and five in this game, no turnovers. McConnell, Matherin, all of them are going to have to be just a hair better with Halliburton limited to this minute restriction. Him playing twenty-two minutes is better than him not, right? Especially if there's no long-term harm. Uh, but he thought there was no chance of re-injury, or at least he said there's no way he could have made it worse in the Portland game, and clearly the setback suggests that something changed it to be that way. So it is what it is now. Uh, minutes restriction makes sense if they can play him safely and get him on the floor. That does make me curious about back-to-backs, and they have one Thursday, Friday uh, of this week and how that's going to shake out. And I also allude to back-to-backs because him sitting out games is a huge deal. I talked about it yesterday. Um 
you know, it's a huge deal for him to miss games now, given the contract implications. They have a back-to-back right here. They've got a back-to-back at the end of February. And I think they have one more this season. I don't remember when it is. I think they only have three more all season. Yes, at OKC and versus Chicago in mid-March. And then I believe that's actually their last one. So they have three more, which is significant because he can miss three more games. Um, but they do have one coming up, right? So that I'll be very curious how that is all managed for Tyrese Halliburton. Significant also to note that to actually have a game count towards your 65 games, you have to play 20 minutes in the action. There are, You get two exceptions where you can play only 15 minutes. Halliburton, of course, played 22, so that doesn't matter. Uh, but he doesn't have any games between 15 and 20, so he hasn't used any of those yet. The Celtics game he got hurt in, he played 13 and he maybe could apply for that one to count. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but he's been over 20 in every other game that he's actually played. So nothing matters with that rule yet, but with the minutes restriction now, with that being a big topic of conversation for him, uh, that's going to be something to monitor as our back-to-backs. We'll see how the Pacers decide to handle all that. Pacers next is their next chance, and they play the Kings, his old team Friday. So a lot of interesting stuff coming up there. But the minutes restriction, it makes a lot of sense if it means he can actually play and so that he can still preserve his long-term health. His minutes were fine in this game despite really clunking it up early. And now I'll be very curious how they try to manage that going forward. Uh, but, you know, a rough start for Miles Turner is the only other note that I don't think I've said yet uh, from my notes in this game. Uh, he he picked it up a little bit at times, but didn't play with enough force, I thought, against Porzingis. That's the last note I have from this game. Now we must pivot to talking about All-Star Weekend because we got some fun announcements this week about Oscar Shibway being in two events. Obviously, Halburn's there and Ben Matherin in another one. All-Star Weekend's going to be a blast here in Indy. So lots here still to cover on Lockdown Pacers with All-Star Weekend. Before we do any of that, though, got to talk to you guys about LinkedIn Jobs. It's a new year. Every small business owner is trying to ask themselves the same question. What's one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn is not a job, another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It's easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one, delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. And LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats, they might not have time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockdownmba. That's linkedin.com slash lockdownmba to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We are back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. Make Lockdown Sixers your second listen. A lot of chatter about Embiid, his injuries, playing. He played in Golden State last night. They still lost. He got hurt again in the fourth quarter. I didn't see any of this. I've only been reading about it on the internet, and I will be listening to Lockdown Sixers tomorrow to get the full story and the full picture because that is a big story in the sports world. Turns out that 65-game rule, that's a big chatter here for the Pacers, is also quite the ordeal over in Philadelphia. Let's finish up with some all-star stuff. We're going to be hearing a lot, I presume, in the next week or so about the leaked people for all sorts of events, three-point dunk, skills, whatever. I forget which one when Banyama was leaked to be in, um, but we get got some real ones in the last couple days. And hey, the Pacers are involved. Obviously, we heard last week about Halburn actually being in the all-star game, being a starter. That's great. He talked about that uh, on Monday in his press conference, if you want to watch that on YouTube and hear what he had to say about being named an all-star starter. But the first thing we learned 
There's a G League Next Up game. Uh, and the home team always gets somebody for that. Last year in Utah they did. This year it's in Indy. So the Maddens are going to get a player. Well, there's the most deserving guy. Oscar Shibwe will be playing for the uh, in the G League Next Up game. Totally deserved. It's effectively the G League All-Star game. Last year, Trevlin Queen and Gabe York. We're in at Trevlin Queens in the next up game again. He's been hooping for the Orlando Magic's G League team. Doesn't matter. He's also played for the Magic on a two-way. Doesn't matter. Oscar has been fantastic down there. He's even played for the Pacers, I think, eight, nine times this season, right? They've kind of needed him. He's not, you know, he's got a, a one skill that keeps him on the NBA floor. He has six appearances. I don't know why I thought it was higher than that, but he has just been ridiculous in the G League with some of his numbers. Well-deserved. Very cool. Roscoe Shibuya to be representing the Madden's there. I think Tom Hankins, their head coach, has a role. I can't remember exactly how that works, uh, but them being the home team, I believe the Madden's are going to have several parts of the next up game represented. Oscar is not the only, or is not, that's not the only thing he's doing. He's also in the Rising Stars game. Uh, the Rising Stars game is the rookie sophomore game, and they also sprinkle in a G League part of this so they can divide everything up into four teams of seven, and then uh, that's how they figure out. You know, they do this mini tournament, and that's who wins. Remember last year, Ben Matherin and Andrew Nemhard won the Rising Stars event. Well, this year, uh, and Tamika Catchings of the Fevers coaching one of the teams in that event as well. But anyway, Oscar invited to that as one of the G League participants. All the rest are on the Ignite uh, or Mac McClung and Alandes Williams. So big for Shibway. He's the only two-way guy who got that honor. So cool for him. And again, says a lot about how well he's been playing. He's not the only pacer. Playing in Rising Stars. We also learned that Ben Matherin will be back for year two. He is on the among the sophomores side. A lot of great players on that sophomore one. All guys who are going to be long-time NBA players. Ben Matherin back for a second year of Rising Stars. Well-deserved. He's been one of the better sophomores in the league again. The rookie class is crazy good. This is an insane draft class. And Chet Holmgren gets to be a part of it. Um, so no no surprises that there's no Jarris Walker or Ben Shepard among the rookies. Nemhard probably on the outside of this sophomore group when you really look down at like Dyson Daniels is probably the worst sophomore there. I think I'd prefer Andrew Nemhard to Dyson Daniels on my team, but I get I get why that's the case. It is what it is. Uh, I don't watch the Pelicans enough, so no one come for me on that one. Either way, Ben Matherin in the Rising Stars game, he'll look to defend his crown two years. In a row. That's all we know. We don't know the dunk contest. We don't know the skills contest. We don't know the three-point contest. I would imagine, or at least think it'd be cool, if Buddy Heald, one of the best three-point shooters in Pacers history, got to do the three-point contest in Indy. Um, I would imagine that Tyrese Halberton, who was in the finals last year, right? It was Heald, Tyrese, and Dame Lillard, and then Dame won. Uh, would perhaps like to do that. I don't know that, but I think it'd be cool for them to get that opportunity in the city that they that they currently play basketball in uh the three-point contest will be a fun one i forget oh we already saw this too uh steph curry versus sabrina ionescu in the three-point contest sabrina obviously went crazy in the three-point contest at wnba all-star weekend last year that will be sweet looking uh, looking forward to watching that it's going to be uh, a fantastic event dunk contest again not announced but Obi Toppin in his current home market would be really sweet. He's done it and I believe won it. I can't remember before the year he did it for those with a memory. Cassius Stanley was in it for the Pacers and he had an awesome first dunk and he still lost that round. So um, a lot of people were questioning the scoring of that dunk. But anyway, I believe Obi Toppin won that year. I say Jackson, I've always thought would be good in the dunk contest. I think those would be my top two picks 
for the Pacers. Kendall Brown would be pretty good too. They have a lot of of pretty decent dunkers on this team, but obviously Toppin is is known for it. It'd be cool to see him, but again, we haven't seen anybody there. And the skills challenge could be anybody. Um, it changes in format a lot every year. I think Halliburton did it two years ago. Remember, he wasn't an officer yet, but it was like him and Desmond Bain. Uh, right after he got traded to the Pacers when the event was in Cleveland. Uh, Sabonis has done the skills challenge before. Like, it can be anyone. Obviously, it's typically fairly skilled players. Halliburton would be a good choice. Uh, Siakam would be a fun choice for the skills challenge. But a lot of guys who aren't in the game or, like, in an event want to get away sometimes. So um, we'll see what Pacers end up in stuff. But that's what we know. That's what I predict could happen. But who knows? We'll find out more in the coming days as all of these are announced later this week. So tomorrow is February 1st. February, of course, trade deadline month. And that is one week before the deadline. We will do a little trade deadline primer with a very cool guest. I don't want to spoil it, but I promise you will be sweet. Uh, And a person very well versed on all these things. Talking about what the Pacers' new direction should look like what all this, what they could do, what they need to consider, all sorts of fun stuff. And then they have two games. So we'll talk about the next game heading into the Kings game. We'll talk a little Kings later this week. I'll probably have a guest for that one, although post-game guests are a little harder. So uh, we'll see about that, although I would love to, and I have to figure out exactly who I would like to bother about coming on. So lots of fun stuff coming this week, trade stuff, game stuff, the usual here at the Lockdown Pacers podcast. You know we will have you covered for all things Pacers. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. Fun game. If you didn't get a chance to watch Tuesday's game, I highly recommend that you do so. Back tomorrow, talking trades, more games coming. Till then, everybody, we will see you soon.